the Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join Abbott historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. Welcome to Mountain True. This is Troy Smith, your host. I'm an associate professor of history at Tennessee Tech and a native of the Upper Cumberland region. Mountain True is a podcast that examines some of the local history of the Upper Cumberland. In addition to being a, uh, a historian, I'm also a, uh, a writer and author of fiction. You can look at some of my, some of my work at www.troydwainsmith.com. That's D-U-A-N-E. Or you can just look for me on Amazon. Today we're going to continue our discussion about Supreme Court Justice John Catron whom you may not have heard of, but I really think that everyone in the Upper Cumberland should have because he was from the Upper Cumberland. He actually started his law practice in Sparta, Tennessee. Last time we talked a little bit about some of the positions that he took as a, uh, as a judge and his relationship with the um, institution, uh, the peculiar institution, as they called it then, of slavery, which was somewhat complicated. He was, he was a pro-slavery slave owner, but he had done quite a bit, um, made quite a few decisions that were in, in favor of at least some rights for, for slaves and for African Americans. Now I want to talk a little bit about his relationship with Native Americans, American Indians. While he was serving on the Tennessee Supreme Court, Catron heard several cases pertaining to property ownership by the Cherokee Nation, and he always tended to side with the Cherokees. Uh, in fact, he, he stated that uh, not only did American Indians have property rights, in his opinion, but the very fact that they were property owners— should in fact make them citizens of the United States, which was was not the prevalent attitude. It would be about a century before Native Americans gained citizenship in the United States. I mentioned earlier that some of the decisions that he would later later make may have been the reason that he hasn't sort of resonated. In, in local history or in national history, despite the heights to which he rose. Let's talk a little bit about the heights to which he rose. Last time I just sort of briefly covered his early career, the fact that uh, he wound up serving on the Tennessee Supreme Court starting in 1824. In 1831, became the Chief Justice of the Tennessee Supreme Court. Later, of course, he's going to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court, by Andrew Jackson, of whom he was a big supporter. Well, let's talk about one of those cases that became sort of problematic. That's the 1835 case that was near the end of his, of his tenure as Chief Justice of the Tennessee Supreme Court. The case was called State versus Foreman. 
the state in question, of course, being the state of Tennessee. Before we do that, let me remind you that you are listening to Mountain True, the Henson Oakley Podcast Center, Henson Oakley Family Dentistry in West Jackson Street in Cookville, now offering Zoom teeth whitening. Well, before I can talk about this very, very significant and important case, State versus Foreman, I have to talk a little bit about what was going on more generally with the Cherokees. Now, many of you probably are at least somewhat familiar with this, but uh, I will I will kind of summarize. As you know, Andrew Jackson was a proponent of Indian removal, and when he was elected president, uh, he made that part of his agenda. And Congress passed the, the, the law, the Indian Removal Act, that Jackson championed. They passed it in 1830. The idea being that all the Indians east of the Mississippi needed to be removed west of the Mississippi, that they would be given uh, land there, but that they had to go. Some of the tribes, like the Creeks and the Choctaws, signed the removal treaty and started the removal process. The Cherokees were reluctant to do that. And in fact, uh, the Cherokees wound up being very divided. The majority of them did not want to sign any treaty, did not want to give up their lands. And these were, these were led by the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation, whose name was John Ross, which may sound like a weird name for a Cherokee. Um, John Ross was the name his Scottish father gave him. His Cherokee mother called him Gooiskui, which means mysterious white bird. Uh, on the other side, there were many Cherokees, a minority, but a sizable minority, uh, who believed that they should take the deal they were being offered while it was still being offered because they sort of believed the handwriting was on the wall and they were going to be removed whether they wanted to or not, so they should sign the treaty. Uh, this group was, was led by another prominent Cherokee leader named Major Ridge. So many of you are probably familiar with Ross and Ridge. Uh, this, what does this have to do with John Catron? It's going to wind up having a lot to do with John Catron. As the two sides are arguing, and the arguments are becoming more tense, there was uh, a situation in, the, uh, in Cherokee Territory in East Tennessee where there was a, there was a big meeting where Ridge uh, appeared and several of his supporters, and they were arguing with the Ross supporters as to whether they, they should sign the treaty or not. Now, there was a Ross supporter named James Foreman, who was, who was Cherokee. A lot of the Cherokees by this point had, uh, were of mixed parentage, and many of them had, had white fathers and Cherokee mothers. Cherokees being a matrilineal tribe, that means they were members of the tribe. So James Foreman, uh, against removal, got in an argument with another Cherokee who was a supporter of the Ridge faction who wanted to sign the treaty for removal named John Walker. After the meeting was over and a lot of acrimonious words had passed, James Foreman 
followed John Walker onto the road toward his home and waylaid him and killed him. So this was a case of murder that was committed within Cherokee territory in East Tennessee. Murder of one Cherokee by another Cherokee. The state, state of Tennessee, arrested Foreman for murder. However, if you are familiar with the the details of the events that led up to the Trail of Tears, you know there had been a couple of very important Supreme Court cases. Now, Catron wasn't on the Supreme Court yet. Bear this in mind. He was the Chief Justice of the Tennessee Supreme Court. So as individual states were trying to restrict the rights of American Indians within their states and even trying to remove them, and those Cherokee nations were resisting. The Cherokees resisted in the courtroom, and they, they sued the state of Georgia. They wound up, uh, the case wound up going all the way to the Supreme Court, and the ruling ultimately was that uh, Cherokees did not have the standing to uh, take a state to court, even though the Chief Justice uh, of the Supreme Court um, John Marshall was actually somewhat sympathetic with their argument. So what happened instead was that some missionaries who were living with the Cherokees in Georgia sort of picked up the burden of the, the court case, because if Cherokees can't bring a case uh, to court, but American citizens can, well, then let's engage some American citizens. So these, these missionaries were there to help uh, the Cherokees. One of them was named Samuel Worcester. He was a Congregationalist from New England, Massachusetts, I think. And Georgia had passed a law that you can't live among the Indians unless you get a license from the state of Georgia. Worcester and the other missionaries disobeyed that that law and were arrested, sentenced to hard labor in prison, and They sued the state of Georgia with the help of the Cherokee uh, nation and the lawyers that they had hired. So that goes up to the Supreme Court, and now the court will hear it because it is an American citizen. Again, you may be familiar with this story, the the case of uh, Worcester versus Georgia that was brought to the Supreme Court in 1835. Um, Worcester versus Georgia. In that case, this time, the court ruled in favor of Worcester. And John Marshall, the chief justice, wrote the uh, decision in which he laid out the principle that according to the Constitution, according to the Commerce Clause in the Constitution, only the federal government has the authority to treat with or trade with Indian tribes, which means state governments do not. So he therefore ruled Georgia's actions unconstitutional. Again, if you're familiar with this part of history, you know that President Andrew Jackson, who did support removal, famously was reputed to have said, Mr. Marshall has made his decision, now let him enforce it. Which, you know, is kind of a a snarky statement because the Supreme Court did not have the means to enforce anything. They interpret the Constitution, and the executive branch is supposed to enforce it, but Jackson refused to. 
So that's the situation that things were in. In the South, in 1835, at the time in which there is more and more pressure being put on the Cherokees, and from within the Cherokee Nation, as there's the, the infighting that results in this murder that winds up making its way to the Tennessee Supreme Court. And Catron's, well, the court's decision and, and Catron's explanation of it is going to have consequences far beyond one individual or one murder case. What were those consequences? Well, you have to tune in next time to find out. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hinson Oakley Podcast Center.